we've been working through Psalm 23 um, and uh, sort of trying to understand uh, how we've been taken into God's care. But I think I told you a week or so ago that I'm going to kind of take a take a break here just for a second uh, into um, I I often when I was a pastor, I would preach according to the church calendar. Uh, People didn't know that I didn't announce it, but I tried to do that to sort of uh, give a a more uh, full uh, offering, if you will, of messages and teaching instead of just things I liked. Uh, and it forced me in some ways uh, to talk about some things or do some things that, you know, I wouldn't probably normally uh, talk about. <clears throat> so I did that. So uh, one of the things <clears throat> that I like to do, try to do, is to remind us of some of the important uh, days or uh, events in the life of the church, uh, the followers of Jesus. And so today we're going we're gonna to look at something here that um, I told you that uh, we're uh, going to be doing this idea. And here's the idea I want to work at on today is this. Don't forget to remember. <clears throat> That's a little, <clears throat> sounds like uh, Otto Priminger, who used to be a movie star producer, would say stuff like, include me out. <laughs> huh? <clears throat> That's kind of that idea. Don't forget to remember. My dad used to say, to confuse me, we'd be talking about it and saying, goes, oh, yes, you won't. <laughs> what? <laughs> or he'd say, oh, no, you will. You, do you understand why I'm the way I am now? I lived with this all the time. But the idea of don't forget to remember. Um, On on this week, uh, on uh, Wednesday, uh, a lot of people uh, that may or may not know the church calendar will either know or not know that uh, this is a day that we celebrate uh, because of the beginning of the Reformation. That on October 31st, 1517, uh, some important things happened. And so I want us to sort of kind of remember uh, if you will, this day, and don't forget to remember. You ever done that? You ever forgot to remember? Yeah, I, I was telling Becky, I remember uh, when I was in college uh, years ago, <clears throat> um, a lot of time ago, uh, I was uh, part of the very first camp team that the school ever put out. We went to youth camps and worked with kids and tried to encourage them to come to college. And uh, so I was in that very first team. We traveled around, went to Arkansas, and Oklahoma, came to Oklahoma, and uh, went to Ohio and other places. And, and uh, you know, we sang, as hard as that is to believe. I played guitar, and we'd sing, and then one of us would preach, and, and then we would work with kids during the week. Well, on one occasion in Arkansas, uh, a gentleman named Dave Cordell, probably shouldn't say his name, probably a relative in here somewhere, <clears throat> but Dave was the pastor of a small church in Arkansas, and he said to me, by this time, I didn't know myself well enough to lead myself. Um, I, I'm a person that a lot of times I start planning when I start talking. That doesn't mean I'm doing anything. I, you know, I, 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 I just plan out loud, start talking about stuff. So Dave said to us, <clears throat> me, and it was Rick Parker from Alton, Oklahoma, and Dwayne Mazingo from Bluefield, West, uh, Bluefield, Virginia. He said to us, why don't you guys come to our church on a weekend? We'll have a big youth rally, and we'll have all these people come, and, and you can sing, and you can preach, and then you can, um, you can talk to our students. And we said, well, that'd be a great idea, that'd be a wonderful idea. Now, this is in the middle of a youth camp where we haven't slept but about four hours in five days. Uh, so we, he, apparently, he took that as a commitment on my part. And we come to find out one week while we're relaxing in Oilton, Oklahoma, that Dave Cordell had planned a revival weekend with three guys from Mid-America, Gulf Coast Bible College who were going to come sing, play their guitar, and preach. He'd made up flyers. <clears throat> they were in the community. They were all around. On that particular Sunday morning when we were relaxing and laying around in Oilton, Oklahoma, the church was planning for us to show up. We didn't. They had a pitch-in dinner. They had planned this revival. The word got back to us a little bit later that because we had forgotten that uh, Dave called the entire church together to pray for us. God must have got a kick out of that. (laughs) We're relaxing in Alton, Oklahoma. Not not that you can do much in Alton, Oklahoma, but we were there. Then, Then it got worse. Then Dave called the state police to try to find out if there had been a car wreck with three students from Gulf Coast Bible College. Uh, The next time I met Dave, (laughs) he 
he had a few things to say to me. They were all Christian, mostly. I remember avoiding him for about a year because I just didn't, or I forgot to remember. You ever done that? Maybe not that dramatic. I just thought, oh my goodness. I, you know, I guess they had a good lunch and, and uh, I don't know what happened today, but sometimes we forget to remember. And so I want to talk about that today, this idea of forgetting to remember. Number one, I want you to look here on your outline. We'll do this. Number one, don't forget to remember an important day. As I said to you before, um, October 31st, which is in the uh, calendar of the church here, All Souls Day, uh, is uh, a, a pretty important day. But actually, November the 1st is what might be a, the, the big day called All Saints Day. When in the Roman Catholic tradition, people come to church and they pray and thank God for all the saints. And so uh, Martin Luther, we'll get to him in a little bit, uh, on that day, the 31st of October, uh, puts on the door at a church in Wittenberg, Germany, a list of 95 concerns. Uh, some would call objections. Some would call a uh, need for clarification that he nails on the church door because he knows the next day, everybody's going to be at church. Everybody's coming to church the next day. This was sort of the, the, the community bulletin board. You know, if you lost a bicycle, you put it on the door at the church. You know, if you see this bicycle, call me or get a hold of me. Maybe not. Uh, but this uh, nailing it on the door here at the church at Wittenberg was a seminal event that began what we call the Reformation or the reforming, hopefully, has occurred, the Reformed Church. Now, let me tell you a little bit about Luther. Uh, Luther, uh, and by the way, I've got a resource here on your handout, I think. Uh, I would recommend it's a, it's a well-written book by Eric Metaxas on Martin Luther. Is it on there? Did I not? <clears throat> okay, well, I'm hiding it then. Here we go. Uh, I'll give it to you here in a second. Uh, there are several, several books on Luther. It, this one is the most recent one, and it's pretty good. They're, they're smaller ones. But Luther was a pretty much of a nobody in history. Uh, he was certainly born into a home. His dad was a melt, uh, smelter, uh, smelting me metal. And uh, the idea was for Martin to become a lawyer for the family business and uh, so that he could kind of get in business with his dad. Luther had a brilliant mind, though, and a sensitive soul. Uh, as you read about him, uh, he uh, passed out of uh, his uh, first college degree in three years. He did his master's degree when he was just a very young man. But Luther was brilliant and thoughtful. Uh, some people, if they've looked into his life, have wondered um, about his thoughtfulness, about understanding how one has a relationship with God, sensitive to the things of God. But because of his upbringing in that particular tradition in Germany in the mid Middle Ages, uh, it was driven by a lot of fear. And uh, <clears throat> the view caused him to live with an extreme sense of debt to God. And Luther's fear as a boy... Uh, he would see in the church there in Wittenberg, I'll just say, a picture of a frowning Jesus in a stained glass window at the church at Mansfeld. Uh, he had the death of two college friends uh, that happened pretty quickly, and he went through an electrical storm where he committed his life to go into the priesthood. Now, this is a really, really fast here, but he was uh, coming home one night, got in an electrical storm, uh, and we've all made those kind of things. Luther writes that he entered the priesthood against the wishes of his dad. His dad really wanted him to be a lawyer, and he had the capacity to do that. Uh, was not to study theology, but to save his soul. Luther was so sensitized to this. He practiced all the duties of a priest with this unusual determination and vigor. He particularly practiced the, 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 uh, what we call the sacrament of penance, where after he had sinned or thought that he'd done something wrong, he would go and confess to a priest. And uh, his uh, mentor, Staupitz, S-T-A-U-P-I-T-Z, if you have any interest in there, uh, would have Luther come to him, and for hours, Luther would confess his failures and his sins. Uh, his sensitive soul, if you will, this, this, uh, this awareness of uh, the debt or the sense of fear that he had with God was, was overwhelming. And he would go, and for hours, and uh, Staupitz writes that, after he would get through confessing, he would be walking back to his cell. That's what they called it where the monks lived. He would walk back to his cell and think of something else and go back. 
Staupitz made this statement to him one time. He ordered him to cease this incessant confessing until he had something worth confessing. You ever met people like that? They're sensitive conscience. They're, they're so sensitized to things that, that, uh, that uh, they, they can't leave themselves alone. And so Luther had this tendency with this incredible uh, tender soul. So he uh, becomes a priest, and he basically, when you read his life, you realize he basically broke his own health. Uh, he would sleep on a concrete slab without any clothes on in the winter and stare at a picture painted over the top of his cell of hell. You could imagine for a sensitive soul, that probably wasn't a, too good of an idea. You know, for someone as sensitive to that, but he, he was so intent on making certain how can I be right with God? If we're talking about God here. We're talking about the Lord of the universe. If we're talking about this is not a flippant matter. And Luther actually saw into this and, and began to, to struggle with this matter. Staupitz, again, his mentor told him in the midst of all this, he said, look to the wounds of Jesus. And I thought, now that's interesting to have him quit looking where at himself and begin to look to the wounds of Jesus. I want to stop here because one of the things that I've noticed in ministry over the years, there are people like this whose sensitive soul is so sensitive. They have difficulty getting their eyes off themselves and onto Jesus. I've, I struggled with that in my life at different times. And I, I don't know if you're like Luther, but this, uh, this uh, story of this man's life uh, to me has always been a great comfort to See him to understand that, that the, a relationship with God is a serious matter. But whenever our vision begins to get self-contained, uh, it, it uh, becomes a very difficult thing. Uh, Luther wondered <clears throat> uh, how he could be relieved of this. Um, I'll tell you just a few things about it. Uh, Luther practiced penance, this matter of confessing his sins. He practiced spiritual disciplines of fasting, of mortification, of uh, bringing his body under like maybe nobody has in a long time at that point in history. Um, and so he's a sort of a, a captive uh, to his own guilty conscience. He's a, <clears throat> he's a captive to the idea that, that if one has a relationship with God, how can one be right with God? This is the word we're going to look at later called righteousness. Or justified. How, how can one be right with God? <clears throat> now, Luther, because of his work, um, got a chance to go to Rome. Now, remember, we're talking about um, uh, the, the Roman Catholic Church in the Middle Ages. Uh, Terry Fakes has said, and we've discussed this, it's hard to defend the Roman Catholic Church a whole lot in the Middle Ages. <laughs> uh, there are some real issues going on here that Luther began to see and be concerned about. One of the things that was practiced very vigorously was the, uh, edif or the uh, deification or the, the magnification of relics. And so many churches and many places in Wittenberg, where he grew up, it was reported that they had a twig that was reportedly from the original burning bush. I'm just telling you. Now, let's be careful. There is a sense in which um, uh, in, in some sense of sensitive souls of people, if they have some sense that this has some value, maybe it brings them closer to God. I don't know. I know in my own mind it, it's, it's something that would be suspect. But there was this idea because of so little understanding of the Bible. The Bible had never been translated into German yet. No one could read the Bible. Luther was the first one to translate the Bible into German for the people. So nobody could read the Bible. Nobody, nobody knew the Bible. And so much of, of Christian experience or much of the matter was mystical and, if you will, somewhat superstitious. Uh, and so there was a great emphasis on these things. Uh, and people at some point received comfort uh, from that. But it was all over the place in terms of relics. In Rome, there was uh, the idea that there was an original thorn from the crown of thorns and, and pilgrims would come to Rome and would, um, would spend time around those, hoping to find comfort in that, that God would forgive them 
of their sins. So, 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 so Luther goes to Rome. Um, what a great opportunity here to go to the holy city. But when he got there, he was stunned. Uh, Metaxas and others, uh, I've read uh, some other books on Luther, uh, that when he got to Rome, instead of it becoming a spiritual experience for him, it was something that really rattled him. Uh, he was stunned, this sensitive, serious soul that, that went to penance and would confess before God and would pray for hours on end, comes and he runs into this, uh, to where he was stunned that the priests in Rome, while they were, uh, while he was uh, uh, holding the mass, where the idea is the, the blood in the body of Jesus is transubstantiated into that uh, material there, He's standing there and he's taking longer than they want him to. They're in a hurry. Let's hurry up and get this over with. Let's hurry. And one of them says he can hear it in Latin. Uh, as he's doing this, he said, he, the priest says, hurry, hurry, and send Jesus back to his mother. You know where Jesus is, right? The host. This is the kind of thing he's experiencing now. That where he thought would be this incredible spiritual experience is now coming unglued to say what they're saying behind him. Hurry, hurry, get this over with and send Jesus back to his mother at the end of communion. He was deeply wounded by this. He went back. Uh, one, of the, one of the traumatic things that he had was there was a place there in Rome, allegedly, uh, Constantine's mother uh, had gone to the Holy Land and brought back the original steps that Jesus went up to to Pilate. It's called the Scalia Sancta. If you've ever been to Rome, it's the Scalia Sancta. It's a, a series of steps. And the idea was that if you went up those steps and uh, on, on your knees, there were 28 of them, you went up uh, those steps on your knees and you prayed an Our Father that you would shorten anyone's loved one's time in purgatory. And so Luther, uh, this, is kind of, this is how intense this guy is. Uh, he's going to go up those stairs and pray for someone to get out of purgatory early. And he says this in his own writings. He was sad that his parents weren't dead so that he could pray for them in purgatory. <laughs> I mean, this guy is is so dialed in and so intense, he's thinking he's sad that he can't pray for them. So Luther starts up the steps, Scalia Sancta, every one of them. Now, some report that Luther had been reading the Bible, studying it now, understanding some of its history, and he gets somewhere on those steps. And one account is that he gets to the top and he says, who knows if these are even the steps? Who knows if this even matters? Who knows? And another, another account is, though, that Luther got about halfway up. Luther, Luther gets about halfway up those steps, and these words come to him. Romans 1, 18, uh, 17. The just shall live by faith, not by works, not by prayers, but by faith. And some accounts say that he stood up on those steps and walked down. And in some thoughts, the Reformation has begun. Now, one further thing that set off these 95 theses was the practice of selling indulgences. Indulgences were a payment to the church that would shorten the time of someone who had gone to purgatory, a place where people are purified of sinful acts made ready for heaven. Indulgences were pieces of paper that were bought to absolve the sins of those who'd committed them. The paper was taken to the priest, and then would the, the sin would be absolved. In other words, you go to the priest and say, here, absolve me. This bothered Luther because he wrote in the 95 Theses that one of the things that bothered him is that we're not forgiven because of an indulgence. We're forgiven because of the mercy of God. And so he was very troubled by this. There was a guy named Tetzel who was a salesman. He was a priest, but also a salesman, raising money to pay for buildings at the Vatican. And he had this piece of paper that he would sell 
uh, for you to uh, be forgiven. He had a little song. This was part of his marketing plan. Uh, he had a little song that he sang. Here it is. It's not real catchy. Can't dance to it, but it's a little song. Nope. It says this. Every time a coin the coffer rings, a soul from purgatory doth spring. So that's the little tune he sang. This made Luther nuts that you could buy forgiveness. A little funny story, not if you're Tetzel, but Tetzel was selling these indulgences. And a guy came to him from Leipzig, that town there, and asked Tetzel if an indulgence he could buy for a sin he had not yet committed. And Tetzel says, why, of course. So the guy buys the indulgence, pays the price, leaves, later comes back and robs and beats up Tetzel. <laughs> True story. Can't make this stuff up. <clears throat> so he goes to the priest and says, I robbed Tetzel, I beat him up, but here's the indulgence. Didn't work real well, did it? Luther began to study Scripture. Again, I, it's hard to imagine, but there was a time when Scripture was not that available. He began to study the Scripture, and particularly the book of Romans. This caused the light to begin to break in on him. For the first time, he realized that God would make people right because of their faith and trust. He nailed these 95 objections. I don't have them. You can Google them and find them. To the church on, in Wittenberg on October 31st, 1517, particularly concerned about the abuses of selling indulgences and an attempt to reform the church, not split it, not destroy it, reform it. And the Reformation began. Now, in that time, you may have heard of these, in that time of what we call the Reformation, there were five solas, or only. The word sola in Latin means only. And so that the kind of rallying cry of the Reformation were these. Sola gratia, that we are saved by grace alone. Sola fide, we are made right with God by faith alone. Solus Christus, it is Christ alone who is our mediator. Soli de el gloria, to the glory of God alone. And then sola scriptura, scripture alone. That scripture becomes the basis for our living and our lives. And so out of this event comes what we celebrate around this Sunday called Reformation Sunday. Here is, I think, the resource that I told you about that you could... Read or look at. Uh, it's a it's a very very uh, scholarly written book on that. Okay, now here's what I want to get to is the point here. Let's don't forget, don't don't forget to remember an important truth. Don't forget. So if you'll open your Bibles now to your table of contents, find the book of Romans. We're going to look at this. Uh, Romans chapter one, Romans chapter ten seventy in my Bible. Here we go. Romans chapter one. This begins the journey, the process of Luther coming to these conclusions about how can one be forgiven? How can one be right with God? And so I want to look at this important truth. Look here in Romans chapter 1, uh, Paul, uh, long section there. I, I encourage you to read the whole chapter, but at Romans 1.16 this becomes sort of the rallying cry, if you will, of the Reformation. Romans 1, beginning verse 16. For I am not ashamed of the gospel. It's the power of God to salvation for everyone who believes. To the Jew first and also the Greek. For in it, the gospel, that's the antecedent to this pronoun. For in it, the gospel, the righteousness of God is uncovered. That word there means to uncover, to reveal. From faith to faith. Now we'll look at this here in a little more detail, but, but the idea that the righteousness are, are, are the, being right with God is now uncovered. It's revealed. 
from faith, or in other words, it finds its source and basis in faith, and to faith and its expression. That this righteousness of God finds its basis in faith and its expression in faith. As it is written, the righteous man shall live by faith. And this becomes, if you will, this important truth. This, this uh, really uh, bedrock of, uh, of, of understanding uh, the, the Reformation here. So we have here this idea of the just or the righteous. The just. This word just simply means somebody who's right. Who's right with God. It's a big theological term, big, big word. But, but who is it or who is that who is in a right relationship with God? And, and Paul is saying here this has to do with this matter of faith. You know, I, I've said to my students, uh, we either di- di- discover um, how that we can be right with God, be justified or made right, or we spend the rest of our life trying to justify ourselves. You ever notice that? We have this kind of tendency, don't we? <clears throat> that if, we, if we're not right in something, we try to justify ourselves. That's the same word, the just, the righteous. That Paul is saying here and the rest of the scriptures that the just or the righteous are those who live by faith. And we're going to look at that in some more way. The way to be right in relationship with God is trust, faith. One cannot be in right relationship with God. Now let me say this here slowly. One cannot be in right relationship with God while one calls God a liar. In other words, I trust you. I have faith in you. I believe you. This this idea of faith is a real personal thing. It's not an abstract idea. The righteous live by faith. By saying, God, you're right. You're right. The just, who are those? Luther said it this way. I love what he said when he said, God will justify the sinner when the sinner justifies God. Think about that. God will justify the sinner. Make them right. When the sinner quits arguing and justifies God and say, God, you're right. That's what it means. That the just, who are the just? Those are the ones that say, God, you're right. And I agree with you. It doesn't mean they're perfect. It doesn't mean they know everything. It just means they're saying, look, I'm going to quit arguing with you about this. You're right. And I agree with you. Does that make sense? That God will justify the sinner not when the sinner gets all cleaned up, but God will justify the sinner when the sinner justifies God. This is a right relationship with God. Instead of calling him a liar, instead of saying he doesn't know what he's talking about, it's not some abstraction here. Like we think faith is just a list of ideas. We think faith are things we believe. No, the just are those who believe in a person. I said it this way. I, I, I don't remember if I put, I think I put this on your, your handout here. No, I didn't. But I, sh- I was going to. I had good intentions. I've been out a week. I've been out a week. I, I want to I say it this way to you. This being right with God or just or righteous. Faith and trust is the currency of all relationships. Say it again. Faith or trust is the currency of all relationships. We talk about being right with God as a relationship. Well, what's the currency that causes that to happen? Faith. Trust. Let me ask you in your friendships. What's the currency in your friendships with people you have friendships with? Trust. Faith. They tell you something, you believe it. If they tell you they're going to do something, they do it. If they tell you they'll be somewhere, they'll be there. What's the currency in relationships that makes them work? What's What's the currency that's interacting between relationships and people? Trust. In fact, but somehow we've kind of spiritualized this and thought it's something else with God. We believe the Trinity. We believe, we believe in the divinity. All important stuff. We believe in the divinity of Jesus. We believe in the reliability of the Bible. We believe in the second coming. Wait a minute, wait a minute, wait a minute. Those are thoughts about God. 
But this idea of being right with God is that I trust Him. Look to Him. It's the currency of every relationship you have. Every relationship you have, you think about it, that's good, that's healthy, that's growing, there is trust and faith right in the middle of it. Does that make, isn't that right? Isn't that right? You know, I, I have some friends, uh, and our friendship is, if you will, understood as that we trust each other, we have confidence in each other, if somebody says something, we can believe it. They're not trying to lie to us or mislead us or try to fool us. It's the currency of every relationship you've ever had or every relationship you ever will have. It's the currency. You know, when Becky and I uh, traveled to Israel a few years ago, it was a lifetime trip, and we went there, and I'm a little nervous. I, don't say that. <laughs> uh, about credit cards. I, I just don't like them. I and so we're deciding that when we go to Israel, are we going to take credit cards, debit cards, or are we taking cash? I'm a cash guy. Uh, I, I tell my students all the time, they, they, what is that? It's, it's cash. Have you never seen this? Yeah. I mean, they buy a 99-cent bottle of water, and it's a debit card. You know, Man, you need to put your hands on some of this one of these days. This is so, so, so we go. So we go, and I decided that we were going to take traveler's checks and cash. And I remember that when we got there, that I had American dollars and I needed shekels, okay? And so I was determined to use as much cash as possible without throwing my credit card around. So I found a place right in the Damascus Gate inside of the old city. And I saw where he, uh, I had an app on my phone. I walked up there, I wasn't an idiot. And I say, the exchange rate today is 340 to one. Is that all right? Is that all right? I go, oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Anyway, long story short, uh, he did not tell me about another fee he was charging. <laughs> and I walked away without counting it. I had to get the currency, but I said to Becky when I got back to the house, uh, I just got some money changed. You remember the story in the Bible about those money changers? <laughs> um, I need to tell you something here. I just paid $45 to get $200. I didn't go back, but they're there. <laughs> the currency, though, when you're in another country, you need to have their currency. So what is the currency of relationships? Faith. Trust. You want to be right with God? Do I want to be right with God? Yes. Then it's going to require trust. When I justify him, and say, you're right, I trust you, he'll justify me. Now, <clears throat> let's look here. I already had that up there. Next one. Made right with God by faith. <clears throat> Notice here <clears throat> in this passage in Romans that the power of God for everyone who believes, for in it the righteousness of God is revealed from faith to faith, as it is written, the righteous man will live by faith. Notice, if you have a, a, like a real Bible, like a physical one, um, it, it's possible that the letters are indented or in a different font. Can you see that? Do you see that? These electronic Bibles don't, don't necessarily do that. Um, but it says right here, the righteous shall live by faith. Because being right with God is out of faith. There, verse 70, from faith. That Greek word there means it's out of faith. It finds its source, being right. And it finds its expression. So it's from faith to faith. For as it is written, the righteous man shall abide. You notice that? Do you see where that is possibly from? That's an Old Testament passage there, isn't it? See it? <clears throat> I want you to go there just real quick. Go to your table of contents. You need to help here. Habakkuk. Okay? <clears throat> not, a, not, a, not a book we typically study a lot in. Habakkuk chapter 2. Verse 4, Paul is quoting an Old Testament passage here that Luther picks up on. Luther picks up on. i got to find it. That Luther picks up on and sees here in chapter 2, <clears throat> verse 4. I'm going to show you here a little bit, maybe, that that won't work. Ha-ha, <laughs> I am prepared. <clears throat> that in Habakkuk chapter 2, 
verse 4. We'll read it here in just a second. But I want you to notice here what it says. Behold, as for the proud one, his soul is not right within him. But the righteous will live by faith. Now that's how New American Standard translates it. That's pretty close there at ESV. But I'm going to show you something here. Look in that passage real quick that Paul is trying to make a point here. There's a word right in the middle of it. It's called, or the word is what? But. Does another tra- does it have however or another translation have that term there? Or has everybody got the word but there? Okay. So what Paul here is doing is, requ- is, is going to an Old Testament passage and bringing it forward for evidence that when you justify God, he'll justify you. When you say, God, you're right, I agree, then he'll make you right. So watch this. On this side of that uh, term, there is what? The proud one. See that there? Or does it say puffed up in ESV? Huh? Yeah, puffed up, proud one. That's kind of that uh, Hebrew kind of fig, uh, uh, illustrative kind of language. So the proud one or the puffed up, what does it say about him? Yeah. So his soul is what? Not right. Okay? But what? The righteous... What? The righteous will live by faith. I want you to look at this now. Can you all see that? This crazy lightning. Crazy lighting. What is the opposite of the not right? The right. What is the opposite of faith? Proud. Look there. This is what we call chiasm. It's a crossing. As for the proud one or puffed up one, his soul's not right. Not right. Not righteous. Not in right right standing. But the righteous who are right live by their faith. Does that make sense to you? That what is the opposite of faith? Huh? Self-reliance. Pride. I'll do it myself. Now, this is Paul taking the Old Testament passage and bringing it all the way forward to the New Testament. He's saying, look, the righteous, and they know this verse. They know this from Habakkuk, that the righteous live by faith because the non-righteous live by pride or self-sufficiency or self-ability. So the structure here suggests what Paul is saying. He's bringing this forward from the Old Testament that we understand maybe a little more clearly what does faith look like? Because I want you know, what does faith look like? It looks like reliance. It looks like depending on. Now I want to go just for a second here. Um, this is my thoughts. Again, thoughts and opinions as teacher, not necessarily thoughts and opinions across the community church, its elders or leadership. Um, I think in my own life, <clears throat> this idea of self-relying. And depending, I don't know if you've had this happen to you, but I've had the need or the desire that that when I say I put my faith in Jesus, if you will, that I have this kind of inner certainty. Anybody ever had that? I need some inner certainty. I've come to realize that faith, if you will, is me putting my trust and reliance in somebody else. Whether I feel this assurance or certainty or not, I'll just tell on me here. I think sometimes I've made an idol, which idols are anything we do to kind of replace God. I think I've sort of made an idol out of assurance that I have to feel like this is true or I have to feel the assurance of faith. You know what faith says? I trust another. I got to leave it with him. I don't know if you've ever wrestled with that, but I've wrestled with, I would call the idol of assurance. Because I put my faith in Jesus, I expect to feel something. Or I put my faith in Jesus, I expect to experience something. Instead of saying, wait a minute. Faith means I'm putting my trust and confidence in another. I'm not going to be self-reliant. I'm going to rely on another. I don't know if if that makes any sense to anybody. But I sort of 
over my life made an idol out of assurance. I, did anybody? Do, maybe not an idol. Maybe not an idol. Maybe y'all aren't as bad as I am. Maybe somebody else needs to teach next week. But this a sense of that faith is really me putting my trust and reliance in another, not even in my faith. So Paul says the just or the righteous man lives by faith. This other oriented, this other aspect, if you will, of faith. Now, let me I just, I want to just give you some verses because we're only going to do this one week. We're not doing this. I've, I've done this before. We've done two weeks. But I want to, I want to just re- give you some references to go back and look. Get in your table of contents. Well, open your table. Don't get in your table of contents. That's, that's not possible. I, I had a week off. <laughs> Philippians, real quick here. I want you to look at how this works at Philippians chapter 3, 1120 in my Bible. I want you to look at Philippians 3. This is, again, the message of the Reformation. In Philippians chapter 3, verse 7. Whatever things were gained for me, those things I have counted as loss for the sake of Christ. More than that, I count all things as loss in view of the surpassing value of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord for whom I have suffered the loss of all things and count them as rubbish that I may gain Christ and may be found in him, watch this, not having a righteousness of my own derived from the law, but the righteousness through faith in Christ, the righteousness that comes from God on the basis of what? Faith, trust, reliance. Listen, Paul could say, He said earlier in this chapter, as to righteousness of the law, blameless. And he meant it. It wasn't kidding. As to righteousness of the law, blameless. But he says, now I would be found in him not having my own righteousness, but the righteousness that comes by God or comes from God by faith. I've told you, this may or may not fit, but I'll say it. Um, some of, I, I, I really have identified with Luther in some sense. I have a very active conscience. Uh, it, it wears me out at times. And one of the things that I've noticed in my life over the years as I've tried to grow spiritually is that whenever I failed, I know that I'm made right with God by faith, but, but whenever I failed, there would a panic set in me. Like, wait a minute, I, I can't recommend myself now. It, it, it was almost a panic that would set in. Like, I've been doing good, I've been doing good, I feel good, I feel good, I'm, I'm doing good, I feel good, I feel... And then if I failed, all of a sudden, everything was changed. Instead of saying, you know what, Cliff, you may have been relying some on your own righteousness here. Instead of relying and trusting and depending on the righteousness of God through faith in Jesus. I don't know if that means anything to anybody, but I'm going to tell you, that's been one of the streams I've had to swim out of. I've had to swim out of that stream because my conscience would get a hold of me instead of saying, wait a minute, I don't have any righteousness here. My righteousness comes from Jesus Christ. Go, to, go backwards now, real quick. Romans 10. I'm sorry, Romans 9. It's going to be a tour de force here in a second. <clears throat> Maybe you already know this, and that's okay. It's a good reminder. Romans chapter 9. I'm going to be in verse 30. What shall we say then, that the Gentiles who did not seek righteousness attained righteousness? The righteousness which is by faith. But Israel, pursuing a law of righteousness, did not receive that law. Why? Because they did not pursue it by faith. But as it were, they stumbled over the stumbling stone. How did they pursue it? By law, not by faith. Not by faith. Paul continues to pick this up. Look at verse chapter 10. Just keep reading. Brethren, my heart's desire and my prayer to God for them is their salvation. For I testify about them, they have a zeal for God, but not according to knowledge. That's important. Luther had a tremendous zeal for God. He wanted to be right, but he didn't have the knowledge. 
Look at verse 3. For not knowing about God's righteousness and seeking to establish their own, they did not subject themselves to the righteousness of God. Seeking to establish their own. That, that's what I've gotten tied up in before. That I've tried to live a good life. I've tried to be right. I've tried to be serious about, you know, following Jesus. Trying to establish, if you will, my own. And so, if you will, this matter of reliance or trust. So, this took longer than I thought. We probably aren't going to finish. <clears throat> That's okay. But I, I want to I ask you to, to consider something here. That this idea have made right with God by faith. There is a, in my, in my judgment, um, an issue here about what this word means. Reliance, trust, dependence. I want to ask you to consider using a new word for faith or trust. I'd just like for you to think about it. Uh, there's a new book I read or have a part of it by a guy named Matthew Bates. And because faith sometimes has become just this abstraction. I believe in the Trinity. I believe in the divinity of Christ. I believe in these things, you know. It just gets abstract. He's suggesting that we might want to consider changing the word from faith to allegiance. Faith is allegiance. I am pledging my allegiance to Jesus. I'm trusting Him. I'm looking to Him. I'm relying upon Him. I have this allegiance to him, to trust him, some way or another to, to get this thing of faith out of the abstract, out of just believing certain ideas, but real reliance, real trust, real confidence in another. This becomes the rallying cry. Can you imagine of people that think you've got to repent enough or pay for indulgences or they've got to do enough good works that all of a sudden the message of the Reformation breaks out. The righteous person, the one who's right with God, will live by their faith and trust and dependence on God. Can you imagine what that sounded like to those people? That had been laboring under the load of work and effort and am I good enough and have I done enough? That this idea of that you can be made right with God by allegiance to him, by trusting him, by relying on him. This again is one of the reasons why the Reformation broke Europe to pieces. It caused an avalanche in the world today that we still experience. Now Luther would always say that we need this reforming in the church because we have a tendency to set up idols for ourselves, like my church attendance, or how good a person I am, or how long I've been a Christian, or all of these kind of matters that will strangle, if you will, the very life of faith. Because so here's what I ask you to consider. Here's what I want to ask you to consider. In this week, on Wednesday, you know, we'll, we'll have a little ceremony at our house. We'll nail something on our front door, you know. It says, kids, stay away. No, <laughs> No, 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 no. We're... Maybe. <laughs> I don't know. I, you know what? I just leave a pot out there and say, just quit bugging me. Back and forth, back and forth, back and forth. But we'll do something. Yeah, write that. Uh, don't y'all come by. Um, but, here, but here's what I'd like for you to ask yourself. What is it that you do that causes you to personally rely on another person? This week. That's the currency. Let, let, let me tell you. Here's an example. You may have thought about this. Every time you drive on a two-lane highway. The currency there that you're engaging in. Is faith or trust that that person. Moving 88 feet a second. And you're moving 88 feet a second. At 60 miles an hour. Will stay where they're supposed to be. Don't you? Yeah. What is that? That's the currency of relationship. Trust. I'm going to trust that you're going to stay there. And I'm not, you know, we couldn't travel anywhere. Or, or the currency of relationship that when you go to lunch today, that you don't ask for some official taster to make sure that the cook hasn't poisoned you. Right? 
That's the currency of our relationship. We trust. I'm not, I'm not even going to say what I thought. No. <clears throat> right? <clears throat> right? The, the, the currency of relationship that you're going to practice today at lunch, the currency of relationship you're going to practice when you get in your car and drive, I want to ask you when, you, when that happens to you this week, when you do that, would you stop and just pump, keep driving? Don't stop and close your eyes, please. Uh, would, you, would you just think for a moment that you're trusting that person? You're relying upon them to do what they said they would do. And then think this. I can do the same with Jesus who said the just live by faith. I can do the same thing in my week with Jesus. I can trust him. I will trust him and look to him. You could do that today with your meal, with your drive. You may be thinking of some other things you could do where you already have that currency in that relationship, where you have trust and reliance. This again could be is why over the years I told Becky when I was a pastor, we always on this Sunday before October 31st stopped to say, thanks be to God for the revelation, for the explanation, for the, the, the recovery of an understanding that we can be right with God by faith and trust. And God justifies us when we justify him. So I declare today in the name of the Lord Jesus that those who have justified God by saying you're right are right with him by the praise and honor of Jesus. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, help us to grasp again the wonder, the glory of you making us right with you when we finally justify you, when we trust you, when we look to you, when we get our eyes off of ourselves and onto you, the wonder, the release, the, the, the joy, the, the wonder that that occurs because we look away from ourselves to you. So guide us in this week as we participate in the currency of relationships, faith back and forth with our friends, faith and back and forth in our driving, faith back and forth in all that we do. And remember, that's what you want from us. Trust and faith in Jesus' strong name. Amen.